Father, we thank you for this time together. We ask that you would be with us again, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive what your word has for us this morning. We pray that you make Christ present and visible to us through the pictures that you give us in the Old Testament. We ask for these things in his name. Amen. All right, we're in Exodus 30. Starting in verse 11, there's a couple of things here. We're looking uh, at two things, the census tax and, uh, and the bronze basin. And I guess we're continuing our tour of things that really don't seem related. Um, but let's begin. 30, verse 11, The Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel... Then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel is twenty geras, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from twenty years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives. Verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, You shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water, so that they may not die." They shall wash their hands and their feet, so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. What do you do with this? We're continuing through the, the statutes of the tabernacle. We've gone through the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, the building of the, of the structure, the ordination of the priests, the altar of incense, the altar of sacrifice. Um, and then out of nowhere, we get this census. What'd you, what were you going to say? This is once a year? Well, that's, that's the question. It's a little vague on that. But I think from context later on, uh, it seems to be once a year. At least at the time of Christ, it was once a year. But I'm wondering here, why, why take this that involves an offering when they've already given an offering for the tabernacle? What's going on here? Offerings is something about their life. It's to atone for their life kind of thing, isn't it? Why are they taking a census? And, and what, what's, the, what's, the, what's the purpose of this? What, why would you normally take a census? every 10 years in the United States. To see how many people you have in your nation. To do what? For what purpose? 
on taxes. <laughs> well, that's the certainly certainly our motive behind it. What, what's going on here, though? This this numbered among the people. Um, first of all, can you think of an Old Testament story where a census was an issue before? David, what happened? He wasn't supposed to count them. He wasn't supposed to count them. Was that the issue there? There's probably more, but I don't remember. That it went badly for him, didn't it? Uh, he 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 did a census. Something happened. It was counted as sin against the Lord that he did it. And what happened to the people? By what means? Do you remember? War. Well, he gave them three options, didn't he? Uh, he said, uh, you'll be uh, uh, slaughtered by your enemies for a certain period of time. Uh, a famine will happen for a certain period of time. Or a plague will happen for a certain period of time. Right? I think it was a series of threes. One was three months, three years, three, you know, three days. And he said, I leave it to you to decide. What did God choose? What do you think he, choo- he chose? Really? What does the text say? Plague. Plague. That's exactly what God did. He followed the statute. So he did that because of the sin of one man? Yeah. Yeah. Why does it say in this, in this, uh, in this statute? Uh, for census, they are to give half a shekel for what purpose? What's that? For atonement. A memorial fund? Okay. What, it, it, you have atonement. A ransom for his life. A ransom for his life. Half a shekel. Why do a force census to raise more money for the tabernacle? They had already done this voluntary offering. Why raise more money? Nobody knows. Um, there, there's, a, there's the idea here that maybe not enough was raised, and so you do another one. The other idea is that this was done yearly, but it's not done just for a temple tax. You remember that in the New Testament, Jesus was hit up for a temple tax when he walked into the town. They had guys set up in the city to receive a tax for the temple every time somebody 20 years and older walks through. And uh, they, they said, doesn't your master pay the temple tax? How dare he not pay this, this tax? And that's when Jesus told Peter to go look in the fish's mouth, and he had enough for both he and Peter to go pay the tax. Um, It was done yearly, at least by the time of Jesus. I don't know that that was necessarily the purpose here, but it may have been. We're just not given given that that information in this this passage. Censuses occur primarily in the Bible to furnish dependable records of the available military manpower. 20-year-old male and up is military age. Okay? That's what's going on here. This is a military census. And they require a half a shekel from each man counted as an atonement for his life. Well, what does that mean? What's that for? Well, at that time in the culture, there was, if you were conscripted into a military, it became, your, your future seemed very precarious. Right? You're about to hit the battlefield. And so the culture at the time said, you, um, you seek expiation of your sins before you hit the battlefield. Well, that's the mentality of the, of the ancient Near East at the time. Here it's a little different. Why do you think God requires half a shekel? 
It's just some silver. Yeah. Uh, no, it went to the temple. It was used for temple service. It was used to, uh, they melted it down and used it for the utensils and things like that in the temple. Um, well, why? The, the passage that said um, <clears throat> the poor will pay no less, the rich pay no more. Uh -huh. Does that shed any light? I thought that was an interesting passage. It is, isn't it? What does it tell you about the worth of life? All the same. It's all the same. Rich or poor, it's the same. What about the worth of atonement? It's all the same. It's the same price. Um, may have some political ramifications there as well, but we could talk about that at another time. Uh, it's only taken of males 20 years, or 20 years and older. In verse 12, we see that verb number. You shall number of those who are numbered. It's several times, and also in verse 13. Others have translated that verb as muster. The, the whole idea has military overtones. They are taking a census for the purpose of raising an army. And he is to take a ransom from each soldier. Um, the soldier here is, in effect, making an offering to Yahweh in order to seek his protection. Maybe. That, that kind of, that's kind of what we think is going on there. We don't really know. But that seems to be the case. What we do know is that the issue of redemption of his life is in focus here. Half a shekel was the redemption price. What's a shekel? Do you, anybody know the way of the shekel? 20 gear. Very good, 20 gear. That's exactly the definition I was looking for. Well, we don't, we don't really know the weight of it because there's several different methods of measurement of shekel. There is temple shekel. There is the buyer's shekel. There's the seller's shekel. They had different weights and measurements per, try to keep up with that monetary policy. I mean, that just sounds confusing to me. But that's the way they did it. Um, yes? I thought that there was no atonement except for the shedding of blood. And this is to make atonement exactly. for their lives. Where's the shekel going? Where's it going toward, though? The temple, going toward to the temple. To Which is? The, the ongoing sacrifice. Exactly. Exactly. And... and so it's all focused on temple work. Um, and what, whether a man is rich or poor, he paid the same amount of silver, each had an equal stake in the tabernacle. Everybody put the same amount of money toward the tabernacle in this yearly census tax. It belonged to all the people of God, not just rich or not just the rich, not just the poor. It belonged to everybody. They all, paid, they all put in the same amount. For what purpose? What does he end? For what purpose in verse 16? It may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord. Now we know that remembrance, remember this, remember that. That's a theme that we see throughout Exodus, all, all, all through it. They remember, remember, remember I brought you out of the land of Egypt. A remembrance of what? Freedom atonement. Atonement. What's the it? What's it referring to? To what is it referring? Is it referring to the service in the temple? The work in the temple? Or the silver? What's the it referring to? Is referring to the work and the... It's the money. It's the money. When they look at the temple, or the tabernacle in this case, 
and they see the elements of silver that are used and they know that, hey, I put this amount in for it to go toward the temple, they are to remember their atonement before the Lord. They've got a stake in it. They've got investment in what's going on there. Yeah? This reminds me of, uh, is it First Peter, the reference of we are all stones built into a holy temple? The living stones yeah. reference? Because, I mean, this is kind of the same analogy. As the mm. temple, they all had to, to take money from their own pocket equally and put it into it. Right. Whereas in the temple of God, we as the church are the temple of God, and we give our lives, daily service as long as we live, temple work as we are being built up. It's kind of the same analogy. Good. Good. Whenever the Hebrews saw the silver of the tabernacle, he'd be reminded of his atonement. That's the issue. And it has New Testament usage we see later on. There's another passage in Corinthians talking about you know, your works being uh, gold, silver, precious stones, not wood, hay, and stubbles. Same kind of idea. Look at verse 17. We have another out-of-place piece of furniture. Why? Last week we talked about the altar of incense being out of place. Now we have this basin, this water-washing thing. It's also out of place. Why isn't it back with the other furniture? Out of place. <laughs> That's what the basin sound like whenever... <laughs> Why is it there? Any ideas? Is this even outside of the tent? Mm-hmm. Where is it placed? Let's, let's start there. Where's the, where's the position of this basin? It was placed between them and the court of the sanctuary. See illustration of the tabernacle and the court. <laughs> what does the text say? Between the tent of meeting and the altar. So it's in the outer court, between the altar and the tent of meeting. What are they to do with this thing? Wash. For what? Before they go into the tent of meeting or before they make a sacrifice at the altar? What are they to wash? This isn't used for ordination like the other pieces of furniture we, we discussed. The washing of the priests is merely a prep for worship in the tent or the altar. And it may also be in this place because the materials for it were collected from the women who served at the entrance to the tent. We'll see that in, in chapter 38. Basin or labor, just to give you a visual, that word uh, derives from another word that means simply a round bowl to hold water, as you would expect, on a pedestal. I think the, the pen sieve in Harry Potter. Um, any dimensions? Nope. Carlos is here. Just brought it out. Any dimensions? We're not given any dimensions on how big the bowl was supposed to be. Uh, we'll see in Kings, if we ever get there, that uh, Solomon built several of these, and they held uh, just huge amounts of water. So he built them really large, because Solomon did everything over the top. Um, but here we're not given any dimensions. It's located between the altar of sacrifice and the tent of meeting, so before ministering in either place, they're required to purify themselves ritually by the washing of water. They're to wash their feet and their hands before they go into the tent or do anything in the altar. Is that significant? Is that just kind of like, oh, this is probably a good idea? What happens if they don't do it? They die. They die. It's kind of, a, kind of an important thing. 
Why? They've been ordained as priests. Why go through this extra step? This reminds me of the burning bush um, where, was it Moses? They had to remove his shoes because he was on holy ground. Okay. So, so it's, it's not, I mean, it is that they are unclean, but it's more about the holiness of God and the approaching of God. Okay, so it focuses on who God is, his nature, right. and that we are creatures. And it probably has something to do with the fact that even though they're ordained as priests, they're still sinful men. And this is ritually showing a washing, a cleansing of, of their sin. Ritually. It kind of reminds me of the feet washing that Jesus did. Mm. And, and Peter says, wash my whole body also. And Jesus says, you, your body, you, don't, you are clean, but mm. your feet need to be washed. Mm. In other words, you're still, you've been washed, you've been made new, but you're still part of this world and your feet are constantly touching the earth as a reminder that we're constantly being soiled by being part of this world. It looks like they were supposed to wash before and after they did the uh, burnt offering. And the burnt offering was a sin offering, right? Mm -hmm. So after they are dealing with the sin offering and everything, then they need to wash again. Because they're dealing, with, they've got blood all over them. If they're going to go in the tent, they need, to, they need to not have some of that remnants of stuff. Maybe, maybe, yeah. I think the last four or five times I've been in here, you go through these all these different steps. Like in my mind, like it makes sense. But then after a while, it's like step after step, so everything's so ridiculous. I'm like, man, you know why? Why so many steps? And kind of like you said, why this extra step? Mm -hmm. I kept thinking about that. And yes, there's there's a, a way to approach God, and not to sound like sacrilegious, but in my mind, I'm like, why so many steps? And every single time, so mm -hmm. if you're a priest, it's you have to do this throughout your entire life until your heart stops beating. Right. And so, so as, as I'm thinking through this, I just go, these people aren't half-heartedly committed to the Lord. Like they are completely, fully. What's committed. at stake if they're not? If they don't do these yeah. steps? It's a pretty significant penalty. Yeah. Uh, Nadab and Abihu got it wrong. Yeah. Um, I, kept, I kept thinking about these are people that you know throw their Bible in the backseat of their chariot. No. These are these are people that are committed to the details of the Lord. I guess sure. That's the point that I'm sure. There's a visual, yes. This to me makes perfect sense. It's one of those details that almost doesn't have to be mentioned because. If you think about people coming over to your house to prepare a meal, if your feet are completely muddy because you're wearing sandals or whatever, you're going to remove your shoes, maybe wash your feet before you enter the house. Before you um, kill a chicken, let's say to eat it or a goat or whatever, you're going to wash your hands and mm -hmm. you're going to have to wash your hands afterward. Mm -hmm. But we still do these rituals to prepare meals today. It's, it's no different. But we yeah. do them every time. Yeah, and, we weren't, and we're not going to, we're not going to die if they're not done. I mean, that's, that's the point before you eat. And well, it's, well, what you're doing here is you're referencing what goes on later in the New Testament with, uh, with the Pharisees and Christ's apostles. They freak out over the apostles not washing their hands before a meal. Putting on the people a ritual that was meant for the priesthood service in the temple. It may be a good idea to wash hands. But it's not a commandment of God to do it before the meal. Uh, apparently it is the, of the FDA, but it's not a commandment of God before every meal to, to, to cleanse your hands. 
Um, and so we create, while it's a good idea, they created an, an extra layer of regulation by fiat, not voted upon by the people, um, an extra layer of regulation that, uh, that, that they had to do these things in order to be holy. They're putting on the people to be holy that God never required of them. So we see that in the New Testament where this gets pushed further than it was intended to go. For the Pharisees, yes. Um, and, and he responded to that, said it's not, it's not the cup that's going to kill you, it's what comes out of your heart that's going to kill you. So that, that's, that was kind of the, um, how, they, how this was pushed. Now, as I'm thinking through this, we have this issue of atonement as these people are being conscripted into military service or at least being counted so that they know what the manpower would be. And they're having to give atonement for their lives through this shekel. God, protect me as you send me wherever you're going to send me to do battle. Psalm 49.7 says, Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. Or give to God the price of his life. And it brought up in my mind Luke 22. Can you, uh, can you turn there? Luke 22. This has been mentioned a little bit before. Luke 22. Starting in verse 17, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Um, the word that's used there, this is my blood, uh, this is my body given, this is my blood given. It's a, 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 a Greek verb, didomi, for your next party, $10 word. Um, and it can be used for reference to sacrifice or martyrdom. And when the Old Testament is translated into Greek for use by those who are not in Israel, who had forgotten Hebrew and, and needed a functioning Bible elsewhere, the word that they used in Exodus 30, 14 for given atonement is this Greek word. It's the same word. Given as um, a, a sacrifice, given as martyr. It's the same word that's used by Jesus here in the Lord's Supper. It's also used in Isaiah 53.10, the suffering servant giving his life for the people. Christ washed them. Christ gave the ransom for them. This yearly census that the people of Israel had to go through, that same idea was done once for us in Christ. He gave the ransom for the soul and conscripted us into the military. 
um, he washed us and set us to service in the temple. Matthew twenty twenty eight says, Even as the Son of Man came not to, be say, not to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. There's one counting, there's one washing. And here's a side note um, for those of you uh, prophecy hawks. Uh, Revelation 14 talks about the 144,000 that are marked by God. If you look at that list, it's very interesting. Um, the typical list of the tribes of Israel ain't that list. Uh, he leaves out Dan, and he leaves out Ephraim, uh, Ephraim especially, a very prominent tribe, and puts in Joseph and Levi. Levi was never counted. He had his inheritance with the Lord. It was, it was an odd thing that John put those two in there. What's the picture? The picture is this is an Israel not like the other Israel. The 144,000 are not, it's, some, it's a symbolic reference to a complete number, to those who are called, conscripted, atoned for, washed, the Lord knows who are His. Right? If you're in Christ, you've been counted. If you're in Christ, you've been washed. Um, if you're in Him, he has ransomed you to fight, not like the pagans do. We don't pick up the sword and scream and go try to make, convert people to Christianity. Um, we don't subvert the culture by lying and pretending we're something we're not until we get dominance in the culture then show our true colors. Uh, we fight not with a sword, but we fight our own sin first, and then we fight by proclaiming faithfully the gospel, seeking to tear down every thought that sets itself up against the supremacy of Christ. We also are ransomed to be soldiers. Here's an interesting thing uh, that hit me as I was preparing for this. When you see a brother showing kindness that you know is not his nature, when you see a sister striving toward modesty that you recall was not important to her when she first came to Christ, when you see um, a group of young adults descend upon a seasoned saint on a Friday night loving that person when it's not comfortable to do so, gaze upon the silver in the temple and thank God for your atonement. That's your investment. That's your paying into the temple work. Not that we would be accepted because Christ has already atoned for us. Not that we would need to be washed again. He's already washed us. But that's part of our conscription. That's the silver in the temple. That's the thing that makes it shine, is the good works that he has prepared for us to do. Look on those things. Be thankful to God that he is working in his church, that he's working in his temple to show himself glorious. Pick your silver. When you see it, thank God and be reminded of your atonement in Christ. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water.
Any thoughts? The Luke 22 passage is interesting because um, you always think, well, Christ made an atonement for us. Mm-hmm. But he didn't, didn't just make one for us, but he gave one for us. Right. Like, that's his investment. I mean, it's his whole being. Interesting. So when he looks down and sees the silver in the temple, yeah. he remembers the atonement. He would do that uh, and not call those that he did it for the God of the universe. He would spill any blood. He, that he would waste any? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. I don't. What are you talking about? Um, each person says it's give a shekel. Mm-hmm. Half shekel, yeah. I think it was C.J. Mahaney said that if you don't take your responsibility, your place in putting Jesus on the cross, you can't claim his redemptive work. Mm-hmm. That's what that kind of reminded me of. Was, that's a reminder of that's there for you. Right. And you, Good. You know. If I don't see myself at the place of Calvary, if, I'm not, if I don't put myself there, that he did this because of my sin, mm-hmm. I can't claim that it was done for me. I can't say that I'm that I'm his, he is mine. Yeah. If I don't see him sacrificing for my wickedness, I can't claim him as mine. And you're saying that they've met down the metal, whatever, and, mm-hmm. for instance, and you see whenever they see it, it's a reminder. Oh, yeah, this is my sin, too. Yeah, this is something that, that, I've, that I am invested in, that I am part of. Part of me is gone. My work has gone into being incorporated into the tabernacle service so yeah rich poor same price democrat republican same price democrat may make it a full shekel though but yes think that that's that's something to remember that 
you know, in this analogy too, that mm-hmm. our lives are supposed to be like refined silver, mm-hmm. um, which means sometimes we are held in hotter parts of the fire so that God can see His reflection. Yeah. Uh, first attempts at kindness when it doesn't come naturally to you are very rough. Until they're in hotter and hotter and hotter situations. <laughs> Patience and God keeps putting you in the same situations. Yeah. Yeah. So any other any other comments? It's good. Alright, I'll pray. Father, we are humbled again by your mercy and grace to condescend to us, to use us to reflect yourself before creation. It's an imperfect work that we do on this side of eternity. And yet you continue with patience and mercy and kindness to work with us, to discipline us as a son who lo- as a father who loves his son will do and refine us again and again and again in each of those areas of our hearts that remain impure and need work. I pray, Lord, that we not resist that, that we not resent you for doing what you've promised you would do, which is to form us and shape us into the image of your Son. Give us hearts that are willing to be refined. Give us hearts that remember the great cost at which this work began, the cost of your own dear Son. We pray that we make much of Him today as we gather together in the main sanctuary to learn of you through your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.